Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Religious Studies Project, our last one for this season. I'm Brianne Fallon and with me is... Dave McConaughey. How are you doing, Dave? I am super excited to share this final podcast episode of the 2019-2020 year. It's been quite a year for the two of us, and we are thrilled to be capping it off with a discussion um, by Christopher Cotter with Mallory Nye entitled Decolonizing the Study of Religion. Take it away. Regular listeners to the Religious Studies Project will probably be quite familiar with the critique that the um, whole notion of the category of religion and particularly the development of the world religions paradigm is tied to a history of colonialism, exploitation, and is built upon um, Western, European, Protestant, Christian models, and so on. They'll also possibly, if you've listened back in our catalogue to an interview we had with Rudy Busto, be familiar with the idea that just as religion is a constructed and problematic category, so too is the notion of race. Joining me today um, to discuss um, something which grows out of of both of these arguments um, is Mallory Nye, and we're going to be discussing decolonizing the study of religion and what it might mean for us to decolonize the study of religion and to sort of own and build from and move on from the, the problematic entanglement of the study of religion um, with um, colonialism, racism and exploitation. Um, Mallory Nye is an independent scholar based in Perth in Scotland with teaching activities at the University of Glasgow and Stirling. And he's also a research scholar at the Ronin Institute. And he'll be known to many listeners um, through his book, Religion, the Basics, which is now being updated for a third edition, or perhaps through his blogging at medium.com, his podcasts, Religion Bites and Histories, Inc., or through his editorship of the journal Culture and Religion. The particular relevance to today's podcast are his 2019 articles, uh, Race and Religion, Postcolonial Formations of Power and Whiteness in Method and Theory in the Study of Religion, and Decolonizing the Study of Religion in Open Library of the Humanities. Um, So that's the topic of today's interview. And also his forthcoming book with Bloomsbury, which is due out later this year, titled Race and Religion, Postcolonial Formations of Power and and difference, which I'm very excited to get my hands on when it comes out. So first off, Mallory, welcome to the Religious Studies Project. Well, thanks very much. It's very good to be here. Thanks yeah. for inviting me on. Not a problem. We're recording in Edinburgh um, just before you're going to give a paper in the Religious Studies Research Seminar on the topic of, of today's interview. Um, but before we get into the meat of it, I suppose there's a few um, key things to get out of the way. Um what does decolonization mean or decolonizing? I think you want to make the distinction between those two yeah. notions. And then also, although I said listeners would be familiar with the um, entanglement of the categories of religion and race with um, colonialism, etc., it might be good for us to, to begin with um, sort of a reiteration um, of those critiques. Well, yes, I mean, they're big questions. We can probably spend most of the time just on those, even before we get yeah. uh, to, the, um, to, to the substance of that. Um, 
decolonizing. Uh, I, I, I put it in the active rather than decolonization. It's not something that's going to happen uh, uh, as, as a thing. And we can say, great, we've done it. We've ticked that off. We've met, we've, we've achieved the metrics. Um, uh, of course, decolonization or decolonizing has become one of those buzzwords on the left of academia. It's become uh, a word like intersectionality. Let's decolonize so-and-so. And very often this is picked up by the management, by the universities as an aspiration to show that we can, or the universities can attract the right sort of students, can show that they're meeting their so-called woke credentials mm. uh, of um, uh, you know, being fair, being just, uh, showing that they've got diversity. Now, for me, decolonization and the decolonizing uh, approach uh, is a lot more profound than that. Um, of course, decolonization refers to something that happened politically, mm. economically, structurally in the mid-20th century. Uh, the end of the European empires, or the formal end of the European empires, uh, such as uh, the British leaving South Asia, uh, the Malay Peninsula from Africa and so on, newly formed independent countries becoming decolonial countries. Uh, it happened also with France uh, and other, uh, uh, other European powers. Um, and so, of course, from that we've got um, the famous French scholar Fanon, uh, uh, also uh, Albert Memmi, uh, writing about the decolonizing process and emerging from that uh, a wave of African scholars, um, uh, Mbembe, Nguji, uh, and, and so on, talking about what does it mean to be a decolonized person, to be a mm -hmm. decolonized nation, to be a decolonized culture. Um, and those questions have not gone away. Now, uh, as, I, as I talk about that political process, there's also the rise uh, across um, political studies, post-colonial studies, of the idea of settler colonialism, or the idea that the recognition that that's fundamental to a lot of the uh, of the political order of today. Uh, settler colonialism, uh, European, predominantly uh, British. Uh, colonialism uh, that didn't decolonize, that mm. so much of the United States uh, and Canada and other British, former British colonies, such as Australia, mm -hmm. uh, New Zealand, Etiaroa, um, are, the, are the products of that set, settler colonialism, of people who came and settled, did it through land appropriation, through land theft, uh, and usually through displacement and very often genocide of the indigenous peoples. Uh, and that is still with us today. Mm -hmm. um, and we can only look, uh, most recently this week uh, uh, was the week of the Oscars uh, in California. And for the first time, uh, a, a recipient of award actually doing a land acknowledgement, acknowledging that the, 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 the place of the award of the Oscars was on the land, is on, is on the land of people who were former holders of that mm -hmm. land and still are, always are, always were, always were, always will be. That settler colonialism is part and parcel of the current world system mm -hmm. and decolonization or decolonizing is also a recognition that the, the structures of colonialism might have been decolonized formally but are also very much in place and within the world that we live in today, yeah. economic colonization, cultural uh, imperialism, and so on. And I, I follow uh, writers such as Mignolo uh, and uh, Quijano, 
who argue that we're, we're in, a, in, a, in a new form of colonial modernity, that yes. coloniality modernity, um, that is not the same as it was, say, 100 years ago. But the idea of knowledge, of science, of politics, of economics, of world structures, being very much about supporting a particular power interest, and that's very much a sort of European power yeah. interest. So decolonization is arguing in many respects what does the world look look like if we challenge that if we go beyond that and particularly in the sphere of academia what what we're doing as academics whether it be in the study of people in terms of sociology political science history english studies literature or within the specific studies of religion what what does decolonizing mean once we recognize that current situation and the history that got us to where we are now Mm. so that that's not sort of a simple process that is a, a very large process understanding the history understanding the present and understanding the people and things that we're studying within the context of all that history and within all that that, that politics. Absolutely. And just as this, this initial introduction, um, to also recognise that this isn't just simply a game. It's not just simply a matter of putting a, a woke badge on, yeah. about putting decolonising uh, on, your, on your syllabus or uh, decolonising your curriculum. Uh, it is about recognising it's not a metaphor. If, uh, if Tuck, uh, this argument um, that decolonization is a matter of life and death. It's, it's something that, as I said, in terms of settlement, in terms of, of land, in terms of genocide, in terms of the political structures of today, uh, decolonizing is recognizing all the violence, mm-hmm. recognizing the uh, injustice, recognizing uh, the problems of today's world, uh, and trying to think of ways in which um, we can decolonize the knowledge systems behind that. And that, that's sort of where, where yeah. uh, uh, my, my work is, is, is trying to challenge some of the ways in which we take what we, we, we're doing for granted in yeah. terms of the idea of religion and in terms of studies of religion. So that, that sort of answered your first question. Mm-hmm. I think, that yes, um, but you're, you're linking nicely into then. So if we're going to uh, decolonize our, our knowledge production and the way in which the, the whole discipline has been built up or the whole field has been built up um yes we need to talk a little bit about uh, let's get what what is the history um so i think if we if you could take us through um quite quickly the the sort of i guess the history of the these intertwined notions of religion and race as sort of academic constructs but then we'll get on to the so if we have that critique Yes. And we accept it and we even teach it. But what does it mean to teach it? And what does it mean to, to revise things? Yeah, as, as, as you said, I think many listeners to um, uh, the RSP podcasts um, will be familiar with some of the critiques of the world religions uh, approach that is so integral uh, to the way the discipline, the study of religion, uh, uh, is being taught at all levels, through, from schools uh, through to universities and indeed much, much research and uh, particularly um, uh, uh, job appointments, mm-hmm. that world religions is very much the idea that that structures how people think about the study of religion. You're, you're going to be a specialist in a particular topic. You're going to be in a particular religion, a part of the world, dividing up. And that, that is part of that history. And of course, uh, um, uh, Tomoko Masazawa's work on the uh, uh, critiquing 
or thinking through how this particular idea of um, understanding the world, of the, mm. the pluralism, the diversity, of the universalism of, of, of uh, 19th century European thought produced that uh, world religions uh, paradigm. Yeah. And, of course, part and parcel with that, the structures of empire, the structures of racism within the empire. Uh, and both both these evolved, of course, together. They developed together in the 19th and 20th century at the height of European uh, industrial empire, uh, stru- structural empire. But, of, of course, was slowly forming in the long period from round about the 1500s onwards, following mm. uh, the um, growth of uh, European colonialism under the Spanish, under the Portuguese, and then under the Dutch, the, the British, uh, uh, the Germans, and the French implemented in various ways, of course, through industrial chattel enslavement, through the slave trade, through uh, um, uh, the the, the, um, creation of different people under different rubrics, under racialized rubrics of creating uh, uh, Africans, creating Asians, creating religions or non-religions that go with them, the primitive religions, the Mm -hmm. Hinduism, Buddhism, that then became the the technology of knowledge, the technology that uh, structured the empire, um, through to its systematization in the 19th century, as as I said, with the formation of the world religions paradigm and the slight displacement of the theological centrality of Christianity Mm. within the academy, uh, which, of course, in the 20th century became the field of religious studies. Uh, So it's got relatively short roots in the crystallization of the disciplines that we know today, Mm. such as religious studies, but very long roots in terms of the formation of these ideas of religion and race as somehow separate but intertwined very much mm. ways of thinking about difference and ways in which that difference could be managed by states by empires under yeah. colonial rule yeah and as you've pointed out in, in some of your writing um religious studies as it emerged whether it's called religious studies or study of religion or, or whatever mm. it became, it, the study of the, the other you yes. i guess in a uk context we have um theology or here we're in a school of divinity and religious studies becomes the place where the the other stuff is studied under these headings of the different isms but even things like philosophy you've pointed out that well we'll have philosophy departments which are effectively Mm. western european philosophy departments and then people um, who are specialists in philosophies from other regions or associated with other traditions usually find themselves in the study of religions department, in some way, um, teaching yeah. that uh, philosophy rather than in in so it's sort of built into the structure of of the way mm. disciplines and fields and departments work as well. Yes, I mean the, 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 these are huge debates going across going on across much of the humanities. Mm. Um, is philosophy just simply white philosophy or European philosophy? And, Added to that, of course, is the question, were the Greeks Europeans? Mm. Can can we really count the Greek and classical world? This is a big debate going on in classics. Where where does the classical world end? Were the Egyptians part of that classical world? The the classical Egyptians, the ancient, and so so on. 
I mean, but to also in terms of philosophy, what about the great philosophical systems of you know, how European philosophy has been defined can perhaps include Chinese philosophies, Indian, South Asian philosophies, uh, uh, um, indigenous African philosophies, and so on. That, you know, it's, it's very much about boundary maintenance within all of these fields. Religious studies has been a little bit more eclectic, and this perhaps sort of is one of the reasons why I was attracted to it as an anthropologist. Yeah. It, it hasn't sought to put the, the walls around uh, what religious studies is doing in the way that philosophy has in terms of whiteness, in terms of the great white traditional, white civilizational tradition that philosophy has and classics has. Uh, rather, it's sort of like to look at, the, as you said, the other uh, and here I'm waving yeah. my fingers about uh, the the otherness of South Asians, of, of other traditions than, uh, than 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 Europeans, and it has been constructed in that way. It's not an accident that mm. that's happened, uh, as, as you said. I'm thinking through the way in which sociology became, uh, in a sense, the home of white European society or the study of white European society or derived mm. society in North America. And anthropology became the study of anything that goes beyond that. And we, yeah. we can go to look at the debates happening in sociology at the moment, trying to refine or rediscover the disciplinary history of sociology, uh, particularly with the writer W. E. Du Bois, uh, who um, has been excluded from the history of um, the, the telling of the history of sociology, although his Atlanta school uh, uh, the, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, predates many of the founders, such as Robert Parks, in sociology in Chicago. Uh, he was one of the first sociologists, but because he wrote about black sociology, African-American sociology, mm -hmm. he has been sort of left out of that history because it doesn't fit within this idea of the study being about white European mm -hmm. society, um, or how, however it might be defined. I mean, of course, there was structural racism and actual racism involved. He couldn't be a great sociologist being a person of colour, being African-American. The idea that somehow he, he couldn't be one of that canon of the great men because he was perceived to be of the wrong colour, racialized differently. So... Religious studies has that as its starting point, sort of studying beyond, and uh, it, it, it has reveled, it has celebrated uh, um, its position as being about studying people who are different from mm -hmm. white Christianity, uh, people who are different from the norms of white European society, of, of white uh, society. But yet it has stumbled in its simplicity, I'd say, of trying to deal with that, mm -hmm. and particularly, it is it is largely ignored these questions of race and racialization. The questions up and uh, up until quite recently, the last few decades of of empire and colonialism have been left off the table, as they were mm -hmm. uh, in anthropology up until the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties, and the question of how to understand that and put that into practice. Uh, in terms of the people that 
religious studies has been looking to try and understand, to write about, to, to empathize with, to, to uh, um, engage with either as insiders or outsiders and, and, and so on within the field uh, of the study of religion. These issues just have not been addressed and particularly, I put that, the, the centrality of whiteness mm-hmm. within the field of religious studies. Although up until the 80s, the, uh, there were a few scholars of colour people of colour doing scholarship in the study of religion, um, very often on the fringes in Japan, if we look at um, uh, the, the, the histories of religious studies up until the 70s and 80s, there were small numbers of people of colour. Most of the big questions and the research agendas go back to people such as, of course, in Britain, Ninian Smart uh, and similar white scholars uh, in mm. North America. Um, and that has set the agenda for where we are today. And that, so it's no surprise yeah. that questions of race and colonialism have been sort of put aside as well. Exactly. Putting aside, of course, the funding issues, the universities, yeah. and um, as I said, in today's world, perhaps, you might get funding uh, for talking about decolonizing or decolonization from a benefic- beneficent uh, uh, university back in the 60s and 70s, less likely to mm-hmm. ask the critical critical race questions uh, of um, the study of, of religion. Um, and that those questions of whiteness, there's been a lot of work being done in legal studies, in sociology and political studies, which is yet to even start to be discussed. Uh, in the field of religious studies. I see it uh, somewhere on the fringes. There, there yeah. are people beginning to put this uh, as, a, as a research agenda, but certainly uh, no texts, and, you know, no introductory texts uh, are, are really taking um, mm. this history, these, these research questions, these issues of race and colonialism, alongside, of course, an intersexual interest in how this, this works in terms of gender, and other structural uh, issues, how gender is created by race and race is created by gender and colonialism and mm-hmm. our, our history, how all these things go together. The, the field of gender studies is beginning to develop and it needs to develop in terms of how it yeah. works with, with, with uh, race and uh, colonialism as well. So. Yeah, that's excellent. Thanks. And, and what I've often discovered, you know, plenty of studies or books or courses and whatnot will pay lip service to the, uh, they'll say, religions are constructed category, bound up in colonial history, etc., referring to Protestant Christianity. And then let's just get on with using it just like we would normally do. Um, that's something that we should try and avoid. Um, also, um, in my own teaching, I've got a course here on atheism, humanism, and non-religion. I'm, I'm aware that everyone I'm looking at is white. Um, I've put a week into the course structure where I focus on issues of uh, well, gender and ethnicity into one week, um, which isn't an ideal solution. It's my first attempt to, to go, right, let's at least raise that this is an issue and let's try and think about it. But I didn't have the time or skill or expertise to properly infuse it throughout the course. But yeah, so what can we, what can we do to avoid simply just pulling up another chair at the table and saying, oh, you can have a voice in here too, or just saying, well, we'll we'll nod to that as an issue, we'll acknowledge it, but not really do very much with it. Like, what What can we do? Okay, so I've been... uh, (laughs) How do we decolonize this religion? I've been quite mild 
I would say, in terms of, of, of where I've been going so far. Yeah. Uh, some of the things I know have sort of got quite radical edges. Um, but um, the idea of decolonizing, um, as I said, is not just simply doing something performative mm. and that uh, is seen as being good and it will sort of add a little bit extra uh, to um, your, your your syllabus or your, uh, your your thinking or your bibliography. Um, and as I put it in um, my most recent article on decolonization, um, it's not about a, an extra chair at the table. Yeah. Uh, it's about changing the whole damn room. Mm. It's about you know getting rid of the tables, you know re- reconstructing the tables, doing whatever you want. Yeah. But you know, decolonizing is saying that what we're doing at the moment is wrong, is is not working, um, and that for me has implications that I'm still trying to work out yeah. in terms of that 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 R word of religion. Yeah. yeah, should we be talking about religion and faith and sacredness and all these things, uh, even if it is a native, even if it is an insider category, yeah. it's got such huge historical and political baggage to it. Um, should we not just simply say we're going to try and deconstruct it? I mean, I know there's these arguments. What do we do after we've deconstructed? Mm-hmm. What then? Well, we carry on deconstructing. And there's that long yeah. discussion we had following one of your earlier sort of interviews yes. with, uh, um, Tamu. Uh, with Tamu. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more to be done in terms of trying to put the idea of religion in terms of these categories of race and religion. So if we're struggling, I would say, to find um, a reading, uh, if, if, even if we put it in those simplistic terms of why is my curriculum white, hashtag why yeah, is yeah. my curriculum white, the big question in decolonizing, which uh, is quite a straightforward thing if we're looking at, say, the English studies canon, because there's plenty of English literature that is written by people racialized as non-white mm-hmm. um, if, if we're doing it there then that might be quite easy we can even do that in broad terms if we look hard enough in terms of the history of the study of religion as I said the the history the development of the discipline isn't solely by people who racialize themselves as white as white European mm-hmm. as North American white and so on we we, we can do that but I would say step back further and ask the question, what are the questions I'm asking here that lead to this body of knowledge that Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to teach or to write about or to research? If there is not this engagement with race theory, intersectional theory, gender theory, queer theory, and so on, in what I'm doing, perhaps I'm... I hear I'm, yeah. said I'm, I'm, I'm getting quite radical. Maybe we're doing it wrong. Well, yeah. I'd say we are doing it wrong. If we're not doing the race theory, if we're not doing the intersectional gender theory and seeing how it works within the context. And it, I, I don't mean just simply saying having a week of looking at queer theory and yeah, non-belief. Yeah. I'm sure it can be done, yeah. or race theory and non-belief. It's about saying how does that change all the questions I've got exactly. and how does it change how the people I want to teach, I want to write for, I want to engage with, how does it change all of that? So you know, yeah. it, even if that means us having to take a sabbatical and reading up mm. to eat, try and formulate those questions to our field of research, I'd say that's, that's time well worth spent because mm. otherwise we're leaving out the big 
elephant in the room, what I call the white elephant in the room. Yeah. Uh, you know, or, or put it another way, uh, in White Club, the first rule of White Club is we don't talk about whiteness. Mm-hmm. Because it, we just assume it's there, it's invisible, it's an empty space, but it is so much uh, feeding into the questions mm-hmm. that we're asking. And as, as I say all this, I am very conscious, here we are, two white men, yeah. sitting in a room talking about whiteness. Um, there's, there's no celebration here of the fact that two men after centuries of scholarship uh, have finally got together and started talking about whiteness. It should have happened 250 plus years ago, that, that this, this, this consciousness of mm-hmm. how, how it's going. But it is also about recognising that the perspectives that I'm bringing, that others are bringing, that you know, well, other white scholars and so on, is only part of a much bigger picture. And mm-hmm. it, you know, sort of, it is about recognising that there's a lot of scholarship going on, which is directly bearing on whatever we're doing. Uh, and a lot of that is by marginalised people in the academy, very often people who don't have full-time jobs, don't have job security, because they're marginalised in terms of their place in the academy, and also because of their race, their racialization, uh, their, their colour, um, their, their gender, mm. their, uh, and, and other issues. It, it's it's a very harsh, hostile environment, mm. I'd say, for people working within the field, with, within the intersections between the, these sorts of areas. Yeah. And you know, the question is, why aren't we using their scholarship more? Yeah. Simply, I mean, do we have to go back to the learned professor uh, who's got there and we all re- recognise them and we all... You know, I'll take one example, Charles Taylor. Uh, if you want to talk about secularism, everybody goes to Taylor. Now, he's, he's, he's a great scholar, he says some great things. Um, I was just recently looking at uh, Vincent Lloyd's work um, on secularism and race and how the idea of secularity, um, how the idea of the secular state is a thoroughly racialized idea. But there's nothing in, in Taylor about that. There's nothing in Taylor that sort of explores the way secularization is defined as a white space, as a place for whiteness in, in America um, to be expressed. And then how that then becomes racialized against other categories, such as religion and church and black churches. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it comes down to a particular example of Martin Luther King becoming this folk hero of post-racialization, uh, where um, the, the Martin Luther King monument in Washington doesn't mention his, his many statements about race and race equality, and doesn't even mention uh, much of his preaching uh, as, as, as a Christian minister. So going back to what I was saying, look for the scholarship, look for what um, marginalised voices are saying within a particular sphere and see how that bears. I mean, whether it be looking in terms of people of colour, uh, women of colour, queer people of colour, how is that challenging what you're doing? Even if you don't agree with it, mm-hmm. but how is that challenging? And of course, pass that on, sort of amplify it in terms of scholarship, in terms in terms of teaching. I'm not saying I've got all the answers, oh, yeah. and I'm not saying that you know the here's a white fella saying that you you you, can, you you've got to do this and whatever. Just saying that I see my position as somebody who's who's lived with a lot of privilege within the uh, academy, 
because of being structurally in this particular place uh, of being uh, a white man at the time when it favoured people such as myself, it still does, mm-hmm. um, stand back and think, well, what can I do to challenge those, those structures, to challenge the, the, the thinking that has brought me to where I am? And engage with that thinking, engage with how that relates to how you'd like to see the study of religion and to see the study of religion as something that recognises its past, recognises its racialization, re- recognises um, how the very critical concepts that we've got um, are so rooted, so blood-soaked with that mm. colonial history, the violence, uh, and of course the, the current politics of today. Um, you know, we're not detached from it, even if we're well-meaning enough to sort of put ourselves aside from it. Absolutely. We're already coming up on time, but I think as a final question, I would want you to ask you, yeah, so you've been getting at it there, and I was hinting at it as well. You know, I think we both in this room, many of our listeners will be thinking, you know, yeah, I want to not just diversify my knowledge base but also radically rethink a lot of the assumptions that I'm bringing to my work and be more conscious of a lot of these issues and the entanglement um, of the study of religion with um, um, racism, exploitation, with um, whiteness, maleness. So I want to be that better scholar. I want to do it. When am I going to find the time? What am I going to do? You know, how can I do that if I don't have the luxury of having that sabbatical or, or that sort of thing? Um, I guess sort of as a final question for for people like me who want to do better but don't even really know apart from go go and do a master's in uh, gender studies or race race theory or critical race and so on, like are there any like sort of key thing like key texts or key scholars or key ideas or key um like departments that are doing great work in this area the sort of th- things where you, you could maybe say well you know if you've not got that much time um this would be a great place to start uh, apart from your book which is <laughs> it, it, and, uh, which is naturally a place people should go uh, to I, so. I must add a caveat on top on top of what you, you said at the beginning it's, it's 2020 uh, that, that we're talking here, early yeah, 2020. Yeah. We're not going to see the book out this year, unfortunately. Right. That uh, I've been held. I, I, was, I was seriously ill yeah. last year, and a, a lot of things have been knocked back. I, yeah. I'm still working on um, the, um, the re- revisions for my religion, the basics book, which hopefully yeah. will be out or at least ready to be out by the end, end of this year. Um, I'm not saying that my book's going to be the only place. Uh, to um, ex- explore these issues. Um, there is a lot of good scholarship, and I'm trying to put this together, and that's part of what my blogging is trying yeah. to do, to point, not just simply to say, here's what Mallory and I has got to say about these things, yeah. but point to the great scholarship that I'm... That you're encountering. Yeah, I'm the, in... yeah, sitting on the shoulders of, yeah. uh, uh, and, and, and trying to say, yeah, have, you, have you noticed this, basically? This is going on. Um, so I, I, I won't give a list here, yeah, uh, but there, there are long bibliographies. Um, I would also say, some, I'll ask some basic questions. Um, it's not just simply, have you read Du Bois or have you read Vincent Lloyd or have you read some of these great volumes that are coming out about race and religion? 
have you read about this wealth of scholarship about uh, decol decolonizing and decolonization? But also ask some basic questions about what you're doing. And this is part of what I did in that paper on decolonizing the study of religion. I picked up one text that I've sort of dipped into from I've never taught, uh, thank goodness, but I've dipped into Daniel Powell's book, uh, yes. Seven Theories, Nine Theories of Religion. And um, I was hugely depressed to read one particular part of it. I, I, I've, I've not gone much further. I'm sort of toying with the idea of doing a more substantial critique. But his, his discussion of Durkheim as a, as a theory, Durkheim's theory of religion, I've got nothing against Durkheim and his theory of religion, apart from the gross colonialism and mm. uh, uh, racism of, 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 of the work, taking this particular group in Central America, the Arenta, uh indigenous people, and saying they are indicative, they are, they are representative of humankind's early history, yeah. that they are the primitive elementary form of the religious life. Now, that was Durkheim back at the beginning, beginning of the 20th century, uh, where it was okay to be a racist. Yeah, it can um, maybe be forgiven for being a product of his time in some way, even though it's still not okay. This is the time of Du Bois as well. I mean, you know, not to say that he, 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 should, he should be given a free pass on that. No. But my problem is more of Powell's amplifying that racism in a, in a book that's still being published, saying that Durkheim is taking this as representative of the uh, you know, sort of primitive stage of humankind. These people who were at that point being uh, uh, displaced, who were being um, uh, herded into camps, uh, who, whose children were being stolen from them uh, in central Australia, um, somehow being classified as this great sort of representation of, uh, of early humanity that can tell us about what religion is about. And I, I'll just simply say, ask some basic questions. If this seems racist, it is racist. You know, as simple as that. Is this amplifying, is this, is this demonstrating the racism of colonialism or the colonialism of racism? I mean, uh, I, I use a lot Patrick Wolfe's uh, phrase, uh, race is colonialism speaking. Whenever we talk about race, there is colonialism. And we see this today in the politics of Boris Johnson, Nigel Farage, Donald Trump, all this. Yes, that, that goes back to what Kihano and others are saying about colonial modernity. It's all there. It's all being reproduced. And it's being reproduced in scholarship as much as it's being reproduced in, um, uh, you know, in world politics, of you know, uh, policy of, of, of Africa. So um, what I'm saying is ask these questions. Um, and if you've, if you've got further questions... Um, there's no simple answers. I mean, yeah. uh, I, 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 I sort of thought I should hold this as, as an idea that I'd like to develop. I, you know, I'm, no, nobody's got the monopoly on these things. I, I'd like to put together another seven theories of religion, which go completely against the grain of Daniel Powell's writers such as Zora Neale Hurston, W. Du Bois, and so on. So writers who challenge our concepts of religion, of what religion is, and the, the, even the idea that religion is this thing that we can define and explain, or we can uh, talk about its functions, ways in which the idea of religion is a um, historical uh, sort of product of that, that colonialism, what we talk about as, as that. And of course, Tomoko Masuzawa is one of those, those, those people who's done that in a very sort of 
blinding way in terms mm. of pushing through a, a particular understanding of you know, this is how we got to where we are in talking about this. So um, I'd love to sort of say, oh, here's a great yeah, place to start, start, whether it's written by me or written by some other scholar who could probably do it a lot better than I could. Um, but, you know, ask these questions and, you know, Google is your friend here in terms yeah. of Google Scholar is your friend in, time, in terms of finding that scholarship on yeah. decolonization. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of it out there. Um, but one, one of the people I, I take huge inspiration from is the, uh, is, is the scholar Sarah Ahmed, who was previously at Goldsmiths mm. College before she resigned over issues of uh, um, you know, student dealing with sexual harassment and, and, and assault, uh, but now has become an independent scholar who blogs uh, very regularly. She's just recently done a lot of work on complaint in the university, mm-hmm. but her most recent book is Living the Feminist Life, um, based on her feminist killjoy blog, mm. um, which I would strongly recommend both the book and the blog. And there's a particularly good uh, one that I, I use uh, about white men uh, saying that it is so easy, going back to what I was saying about Taylor and others, you know, white men cite other white men. Um, and if we go along with that game, we are reproducing not just... Uh, an event we're reproducing the whole structure yeah, never of, gonna be. of white patriarchy yeah. of, of, of colonial is. modernity within our scholarship and as, as I said work against the grain of that as much as you can in terms of the questions that you ask and the, and the, and the people that you choose yeah. to read um, it's not to say it's an easy task or that there's one that there's a, a lot of time for any of us to do that it's a lifelong task and one that will probably never be possible to complete but uh, Mallory you've left us with some um, well, a lot of in-depth material but also a lot of questions that, that can and should be taken to basically everything that anyone that's listening to this is, is working on um, so um, with that I think you know, this podcast has served you know, double purposes at least if not more so thanks very much okay well thanks very, very much too I mean um, look out for my third edition of Religion the Basics when it comes out. I will be dealing with a lot of these issues briefly in that. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem why it's taken so long. I was asked to sort of get working on that about eight years ago and it's still yeah. in, pro- in process. But yeah, my, my book on race and religion or whatever it may, may be called in the end, that should be appearing in the next few years anyway. Fantastic. We look Thanks. forward to it. Thanks very much. This is such an important topic the issue of the decolonization and the efforts to decolonize religious studies and the concept of religion, it's so important that we're actually going to continue working on this throughout the next season of our podcast. And we hope to have a kind of a part two uh, to this conversation to begin next year. We're, we're so thrilled that, that Mallory and I was, was free to speak with Chris because his new book, Race and Religion, Post-Colonial Formations of Power and Difference, that's coming out this year from the University of Glasgow Press, is really another contribution to the efforts to understand how colonial power and um, colonial constructions have have shaped the way that we understand religion. And this has been such a formative conversation on the Religious Studies Project from 
our earliest episodes on the world religion paradigms uh, to uh, conversations with Naomi Goldenberg about the definition and the, and the category of religion to even this season uh, conversations with um, Tim Fitzgerald on that very subject. Uh, Bree, I, I know you've been really proud of, of the work that you and I have been doing to try to plan um, some of what we have for next year. Would you like to say a little bit about what listeners can expect in the 2020 to 2021 uh, season uh, that we have coming up? Definitely. I mean, the most important thing is that we will be back with our first episode on August 17th, 2020. And Of course, as um, Dave just said, that is going to sort of be a part two to this conversation on decolonizing the study of religion. We're going to get a different voice and continue that conversation. But next year, we're really seeking to make the project as diverse as possible, geographically diverse, um, diverse in terms of topics. And, you know, we're really going to focus on up and coming scholars as well as, you know, hard hitting scholars. And I think that next year, I'm just so excited to see the diversity across the entire project and looking forward at what we have. I really think it's going to be the the best season that we've had yet. Now that's a big call, but I really do think that we're, you know, we're committed to making sure that everybody's voice is represented and that religious studies is an area of the academy that really is breaking down institutional structures that privilege certain voices. And next year, that's something that we're very much committed to. Um, Dave, is there anything else we should say before we sign off for the season? We want to thank everybody for listening. We're really grateful for the opportunity to share important scholars talking about the issues that they're working on and their attempts to try to understand religion and to, um, uh, understand the theory of religion and to, to create a critical conversation on how religion is taught in the academy. And it's really a privilege for, for us both, I think, um, to be here and, and to be with you in your car or at the gym or, uh, on a walk. And, and it's a, it's a pleasure for us to do it. I know that I feel that way. I'm sure, Bree, you feel that way as well, right? Yeah, definitely. It's such an honor to be able to produce this content for everyone. And I, also would like to thank um, our fellow interviewers at the Religious Studies Project that help make content every week. And of course, our very generous um, donors and Patreon subscribers for making sure that the project is always possible. Um, but until then, all that's left to say is see you, see next, you next season. The RSP is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The Religious Studies Project is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation, charity number SC047750. Brought to you by founders and editors-in-chief Chris Cotter and David Robertson, and managing editor Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Marek Sullivan and Rebecca Barrett-Fox, and our opportunities digest by Ella Bock. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock, with audio editing by Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford, sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop, and video editing by Jonathan Tuckett. Don't forget you can support the project by using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com slash projectrs and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, iTunes and other portals.